listening to Carnivore Conversations, a podcast exploring the benefits of keto, carnivore, intermittent feasting, and other lifestyle hacks. Each week, we'll be interviewing a special guest from the keto carnivore community and so much more. This is your host, board-certified and practicing physician, Dr. Robert Kiltz. First of all, thank you for joining me. And, uh, you know, I've learned so much from you over the, uh, I don't know, it hasn't been that long, really. A couple of years, yeah. maybe two to three years. At yeah, most, two, but, two uh, years. Yeah. From Steak and Butter it, Gang, I think you met me, didn't yep. you? Steak and Butter uh, Gang with uh, Bella and, uh, and the gang. And I've learned so much and I'm so grateful you're here. Maybe you can uh, start off by telling everyone a little bit about yourself. Uh, I'll do a little read of your bio a little bit later, but it's always nice to hear some stuff that where you at and, and how did you get into this crazy keto carnivore space? Okay. And where are we live to at the moment then? Robert? Well, we're actually not live. We're recording. Uh, we're right. just recording today. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah, don't know. Yeah. You know, it's so I don't oh, set them all up. Jake does. And sometimes <laughs> I like the live, but, you know what I've learned sometimes they're good, but sometimes they're a little distracting because, you know, I want to focus on your story in that same time I'm trying to read. And so, yeah. Yeah. It's only because I noticed the little live up there and I thought, Oh, hello, we are live. Oh no, we're at, we're recording. You're right. It does say live. We're yeah. live recording, but it's not live to the world. Okay. Uh, yet. Right. We're going to release right. you eventually very soon. Sure. Okay. <laughs> I can't hold you back. Well, you want it nice and clean, don't you? So I'll leave a little gap for the edit, and then I'll get into the question. Uh, yeah. So, uh, well, okay. first question is, uh, uh, let's see, Coach Stephen, uh, can you tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into this keto and carnivore and health and wellness space? Yes. Actually, uh, Robert, I want to tell you the whole story because I think I've never done that, and I think the context is pretty interesting, and hopefully it's – it's going to be quite cool for you to hear it because my health journey started when I was a child. And unfortunately my parents bought into the low fat, uh, skim milk, uh, grains, meat's not great for you. I mean, so not particularly wealthy after a, a, a problem. My first, my, my dad, my real dad died very early. And then uh, I stepped over who was my real dad's brother and he came from Australia and because in those days, if you remarried, you lost your pension and everything. My mum basically lost all her income and he got wow. caught out with the same sort of thing. So it was a really horrible time. Okay. So I'm going to tell you something that you will not believe, actually. Uh, I got to the point where I was so hungry, I was actually eating my wallpaper off my bedroom wall. Yeah. It did so have we some starch in it, didn't it? because <laughs> yes. okay. they use starch i think as as the paste for <laughs> yes. wallpaper maybe i don't know that's interesting oh wow. really yeah so wow. um yeah pretty surprising but that was that was a particular not all my life but that happened for a, a little period where we was having some problems with the money coming from australia and all this sort of stuff because my my stepdad who was like i say my real dad's brother um there was a big transition where he wasn't getting any money and my mum wasn't getting any money so anyway uh that was Hardship, hardships in life yeah real hardship, hardship. yeah yeah i don't yeah. look back at that time unhappy at all uh i only realized that that was a big thing recently actually um 
if I found a picture of my bedroom and there was a, a massive, great, big bear bit where the wallpaper used to be. And I, wow, I used to eat that. Anyway, um, but the point being, actually, that, that but my mother was very much into the skim milk and, and, you know, the brand and all that. And she died very young of colon cancer, which allegedly wow. is when you eat meat. I mean, I know this now, but, you know, looking back, it, that's I wasn't aware of all these things that I now know. So anyway, uh, that had a, a long-term impact. I've got British teeth anyway, but, boy, teeth that are not given protein and fats and things to chew when you're younger. So I've got typical British teeth. And um, but I was pretty, pretty fit, pretty active at school. I was the 800 meter holder. Uh, I was pretty good at soccer or football, as it should be called, by the way. Um, yes, yes. <laughs> you know, you use your feet. We just don't know it in the West, do we? <laughs> <laughs> we'll and, straighten um, up eventually. <laughs> yeah, eventually. So, um, yeah, so I was a semi-pro footballer. The, the, the reason for this pricey is because... As Coach Raymond pointed to me when I first met him, wow, your life actually is doing all the allegedly right things. So I was very active. I was in the soccer team. I actually went semi-professional. I was eating all the, you know, allegedly right things. And at 23, I did a bodybuilding show, really into fitness. I can remember reading magazines about, oh, some bodybuilders are trying high fat and immediately dismissing it. You know, I was absolute, you know, washed at that point it was uh, granary bread and it was skim milk and it was freshly squeezed orange juice and it was all that stuff and don't touch red meat so I did that for many 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 years of my life uh, I had an interesting life deaf at 23 I wear hearing aids I have to lip read I have a big load of kit here to help me hear um, but this isn't a negative story I had a you know I really enjoyed my life uh, I did I got on national tv I did stand up about being deaf so none of this Robert many people know uh, I did some mainstream TV. I was a body in Born Ultimatum and uh, Paddy Constantine's standing and Gary Oldman standing on the dark night and all this sort of stuff. So I had a pretty interesting life. But what was happening, I was eating these great foods and I was also training to be a personal trainer. So in my 30s, when I well, come to the end of my 30s, I realized I really loved health and fitness and I wanted to help mm -hmm. other people became a personal trainer and then I did an advanced certificate I mean that ended up being pretty good teaching um and uh, you know training someone in the Olympics and all this sort of stuff so it was great again so it's the right things and then I get into my 40s and I realize well first thing I want to know more about what's go going on because I was running three times a week doing 10 miles at a really good pace these medals are, are for running and I was getting tubby and I wasn't eating any fat I was doing all these excellent things and my health was going off and I was starting to get, which I now know were cataracts that had to be resolved before I was 50, uh, which is glycation, you know, now, but I'm trying to give you the sort of lin linear story. So um, when I was doing the advanced uh, personal training, I decided also to get into obesity and diabetes to be a real specialist practitioner in that. And, um that's when the flag started raising up. So I remember doing the bit about diabetes and talking about the medications because to be, you know, on the GP referral, general practitioner referral list, you have to know all about the interactions with all the different medications, how they work. And I can remember, and, and many people have heard this who have followed me online, I can remember in the lecture me putting my hand up and saying, you keep telling us to do the dosage of insulin in relation to carbohydrates. Why don't we just stop shoving them in 
into our mouths. They seem to be the problems, um, which was laughed out of the class. Of course, you need carbohydrates and all that. And it became really obvious that wasn't true. Uh, so the more I looked into it, and of course, being me, I'm very uh, sort of qualified in many ways. I've already got an honours degree in English. Went in to do my science degree, my honours science degree in physiology and health sciences. I also wanted to be qualified as a phlebotomist because I, not a control feat, but I just really like to know stuff. So I trained to be a phlebotomist as well because I wanted to see the bloods and I wanted to basically, you know, lock it all in and, and uh -huh. understand it from many different angles and really know the stuff and see it with my own eyes, what was going on. And I was pre-diabetic. There you go. But the first time I did a blood test, um, that really sort of should have shocked me, but I was expecting it because of the knowledge I was now gaining. It also made sense of why I was getting fat also making sense that i had lower left quadrant pain i was in a, in a hospital for colonoscopy and obviously with my mother having you know mm -hmm. uh, colon cancer and dying from that and uh, my father dying young i can remember sitting in that ward thinking boy if genetics really do play a big role uh, which i'm leading you on to a question later uh this is it I've had me chips. I'm gone because I'm in this colonoscopy. I'm in absolute agony. I'm getting tubbier. I'm getting pre-diabetic. Everything's going wrong. My skin was, you know, had a massive, great big flare-ups with stress and all this sort of stuff. Uh, athlete's foot was, and I know that sounds like nothing, but again, it's an indicator of something's wrong. Athlete's foot, I'd had it for 30 years. That was getting even worse. And wow, all of this was just going completely and utterly south. And the penny just dropped that it was the carbohydrates. Oh, and the other thing was I had a coronary artery calcium scan, which was 639. Not the worst, but certainly not the best. Puts me in the sort of risk, alleged risk category. But literally every test I've had in my 40s, I should be dead now. I'm 58 now. And so I've managed to outlive all the predictions. And I found keto, right? Now, one of the... Um, influencers that seems to divide people but i love him and i don't care yes he makes some big mistakes but i saw dr berg and i thought this guy is very good and you know bite-sized information pleasant whatever you mm -hmm. think of it some of his information about diabetes in particular particularly good as a gateway all right i would right. I would say that i would not say that you can go much further but definitely very good so I thought, well, I'll try, I'll try low carb, see how that goes. Of course, that was literally like a penny dropping moment. How amazed I felt! So much weight dropped off me, water weight. Um, so many things started to get better. I couldn't, I couldn't believe it that this low carb diet was so good. Um, I'd actually had moments of seeing photographs recently and there's shirts I used to love wearing and I can remember because I couldn't control my weight and I couldn't fit into them anymore I threw them out I absolutely I absolutely regret it so much I love these shirts <laughs> and you know all these little things were all resolving because I just my body composition started to improve um I just I just felt better and better and then I saw Ken Berry who was very good, you know, a few other influences. I didn't know Joe Rogan, didn't know Sean Baker, never heard of Jordan Peterson, and all this little UK lad here who doesn't know what's going on in the world. And I just went from keto, uh, went from low carb to keto because that seemed logical. Mm -hmm. And sort of on a parallel track with Dr. Ken Berry, who at that point met 
him online. I didn't meet him personally, but you know, I, I encountered him online. Right, he was right. telling people to eat your greens, eat your greens, you know, I'm like, ah, okay. Um, but I don't like them, <laughs> but I will do this. But the more I took them out, the better I felt. And then I think he had the same journey. Yep. Just, yep. just coincident, just coincidental that he started to levitate towards, um, or gravitate, I should say, towards carnivore. Mm -hmm. And then I got to 55, and I thought, well, they, these are great, but I think I could go further. So I'll do the 30-day challenge, and I'll just see how I how I get on. Uh, by this point, I'd, I'd seen Sean Baker, and I'd seen Joe Rogan. Uh, I'd seen Jordan Peterson and Michaela Peterson. Sorry you're not in there, Robert, but, you know, these the, these are the people I saw at that yeah, point. Yeah, absolutely. Um did it for 30 days and wow the difference is incredible now i get people that don't necessarily want to take that step because keto compared to what i was in my 40s no comparison i mean keto was way better than that and low carb was way better than that but i promise you the way better from carnivore to keto has got to be experienced to be believed and um of course, I had all the people around me saying, well, what about your veg, you know, and your fruit and all this? You must need all that. And I was thinking, well, I don't think I do. And the more I'm studying this, the more I realize that fruit is not the fruit anyway. It's not natural. It's way too much sugar, um, all the anti-nutrients in veg. So I, basically, I went carnivore for 30 days, decided that this was my calling. I, I really needed to do some coaching online and sort of... Uh, I think Ken said something that just resonated with me. Uh, you know, I could be a doctor, he said, and I could see like, like 30 people a day and I can go online in a half an hour. I can talk to 3 million people. And yeah. I thought, the online is, is the thing to do. I hate being online. You know, I really don't like seeing myself. You know, I don't think many people like seeing themselves, or hearing themselves. But so I did that. I went on to meet RX to be qualified as a carnivore coach and a fasting coach. And uh, that was really good. I mean, Sean was fantastic. All the guests were really good. So then you get exposed to a lot of really interesting influencers. Uh, this was back in the day when Paul Saladino was actually a proper carnivore, you know. And so it was a long time ago now, three and a half years ago. Right, I right. Think. Not that long, but a long time in our, in our, <laughs> in our space. Yeah. Yes. In this it space, changes yeah. fast. <laughs> it's very fast. And then um, about two years ago, uh, I followed Raymond from Rex and went into the steak and butter gang with Bella there, who's, you know, quite a big influencer. From yes, right. um, I'm quite disappointed that I didn't encounter a lot of the people I now talk to during my journey, but there you go. That's life. So I was basically following Ken Berry, uh, Dave Feldman. I found very mm -hmm. interesting. I know he's only keto. He's not really carnivore. Uh, ben Bickman, those sort of people. But all of the things that I've been qualified in, you know, it doesn't matter with real world experience. You know, when we spoke, when you did an interview on my channel, you were talking about what training medical school certainly doesn't relate to what you actually now know in the world. That's exactly the same here. I mean, the obesity and, and diabetes, the, the general practitioner or specialist practitioner status, I've got the, I get more results following carnivore. 10 times the than people that want to stick to the, the wrong way of eating, really. What is your primary practice today? Is it is it online coaching 
And as an online coach, do you still need to maintain those same uh, uh, practice guidelines as you did if you were in a clinic doing your nutritional and, and, and guidelines in, in physical and health and wellness? Well, I always, I mean, I always make it clear I'm not a doctor. I always do the disclaimer, even in Bella's meetings, you know, I say it's not one-to-one when it's an online meeting, but when it's, you know, one, when it is one-to-one and I've got the health and activity questionnaire and all that sort of stuff, uh, the bloods come with comments from the doctors. Uh, and then you can still interpret, you know, people want to know, what does that actually does that mean? Yeah, Why yeah. do I have fasting glucose? Why has that got a flag? So you're not really in, um, you know, any other than information, really. You're not right. say, well, it shows this. I don't diagnose and I don't prescribe because that's but, not. But, 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 your, but your knowledge and experience has given you far more uh, than so many other physicians, doctors, and healthcare practitioners in this space, um, how do the, the do you, do you, do you um, uh, work with the doctors in the space, and how do they listen and learn from this? Well, I tend to be the person that talks to the client, and then they go back to the nurse practitioner. They go back to their doctor armed with studies or a bit of research or different kind of things and it's pretty successful um you know i think yes you get a little bit of pushback from doctors but it's very hard because i just give information that's that's factual yeah. um are, are you finding anyone that's beginning to open up as they're seeing the success of their patients yeah. lose weight and diabetes go away and their drugs go away yeah but it's a bit like your standard of care you, yeah. you, their hands are tied that's the problem yeah. and i always explain this i say yeah it could be incompetence but it's more likely you know paying the rent and paying the mortgage and um not being in the position to lose your license you know if you have cholesterol of a certain level depending on what part of the world you're in there are guidelines that if it's over a certain level, you must do this thing. You must follow this procedure, um, which is not good for health, is it? It's not, it's, it's not very individual, and it's, it's not related to studies. It's related to money, really. That's, a, that's the saddest thing about it. Well, what, what are your thoughts on, on studies and, and um, misinformation regarding to um, studies? Well, um, it makes me pull my hair out, actually, mm -hmm. um, because, I mean, when I did my science degree, you learn about studies and you learn about bias and you learn about confirmation bias and conflicts of interest. And um, I will name check someone like Bart Kay, who will talk about studies left, right and center in real detail. And um, I've got the statistical um qualification but i've got the mathematical brain doing a stem uh, you know stem based uh, degree and the studies are manipulated you know when it when you look at studies that then obviously they're not causal when they're, they're just looking at associations and they certainly manipulate them and adjust the data and 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 flatly sometimes ignore the data you know if you look at the nhain study i think it's 1999 to 2014 for the ldl Categoric um, out of 16, they, they looked at 19 studies for LDL as a causal 
alleged causal or risk for heart disease. Out of those 1916, absolutely flat. Did not prove that whatsoever. And I will give the um, researchers the benefit of the doubt here because they did pretty much say it does seem that if higher cholesterol, high, higher LDL cholesterol, um, you will live longer. Uh, and there's a very clear graph. Now, this was recently shared by Ken Berry, this graph, and I've used it many times to say to people, these are the facts. I mean, this is a huge data set, and there's also um, another one, which is uh, the CDC World Health Organization, which has got millions of data points, I think from 164 countries, and it backs up the fact that lowering your cholesterol seems to be uh, deleterious and lead to worse health outcomes. Basically, you die. your chances of dying go up. So a healthy diet, is there such thing as a labeled healthy diet, do you think? Uh, <laughs> and then, Well, there's an appropriate diet. There's no one size fits all um, because we're all different. But I would definitely say carbohydrates are not part of that. We don't need them. They're not essential. They seem to be very problematic for most people. Um, I certainly think fruit is problematic than people like to believe. Um, I've done a couple of videos on how they're stored, and many people are surprised that the supermarket apple might have been a year and a half since it was picked because it's in a controlled atmosphere and it's not fresh. And then when you look at nutrients, they don't last for more than seven days, even in the controlled atmosphere. So these fruits are allegedly healthy, part of a healthy diet. Um, are just bigger. So I think I think there's variations on the carnivore diet of the healthy. You know, I think fish can be included. I think uh, eggs are pretty good for most people. Some people have a to- intolerance. Dairy, again, is problematic for some people. So there's no one-size-fits-all, but I certainly think there is a you know, much narrower field than the food pyramid, which is completely not a healthy diet. When we use the word carbohydrate, what are we what are we talking about? Maybe we could just be a little more scientifically yeah. um, sugar molecules, yeah, right, I right, think. right. It, but 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 when we say sugar and carbohydrate, it's sometimes a difficult thing to understand what that means because we don't buy sugar and carbohydrate; we buy food, and food is either an animal based food or a plant based food. Mm-hmm. Maybe for those listening and watching, you can give us a little better uh, direction of what they should be thinking about. Yeah, well, if you if you look at your muscle, bum, 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 it's got some glycogen in there, which is just glucose, which is uh, in a long strand. And that's our storage form of energy. Okay, so it is a form of energy. Now, if you look at a potato, uh, their storage form of energy is the potato, and that is starch what we call starch so that's long forms of uh, long polymers basically you know basically it's all glucose just strung together and so what happens when you cook that you break those bonds and you break the starch down into glucose or whatever is your derivative because there's different types of um, sugars but in the end they're all pretty much the same they all break down to the same so you've got fructose and you've got galactose and you've got glucose and it depends um what your body does with them so for instance fructose tends to be metabolized in the liver more than it does say glucose and people think of glucose as 
sort of akin to just white table sugar. And it isn't. I mean, we have stored glucose, which is made by a liver. So glucose, so you can have a non-carbohydrate substrate, which can then become glucose. But that's the liver making it for you as a demand-driven thing. So your brain, for instance, would require some glucose. You don't have to eat glucose. You don't have to eat sugar. You don't have to eat carbohydrate to get that glucose to your brain. So we use about uh, five grams every hour, the brain does, of, of glucose, which is coincidentally pretty much what happens when you look at gluconeogenesis. So I'm not one of these people that thinks um, you can't, you can live without glucose because you can't, you, but you you don't have to eat it. I think that's the that's the definition. So when you hear influencers saying influencers influencers saying you need carbohydrates, yeah, but you you don't need to eat. Them. Your body will make them and a demand process. So if you look at your blood sugar levels, we need a blood sugar level of about one teaspoon in five five liters of blood. So that's what most people not much, do. Not, not much it's sugar. Not, no, yeah. it's not. The, when you look at volume, which I much prefer, thanks, Robert, for saying that, because that's why I always say that, because people think, well, I'm 5.6 or I'm 100, you know. Well, what's that mean? What does that actually mean? And when I say, well, it's about a teaspoon of sugar in five litres of blood, which is, you know, the average person, they're like, well, that's not much. Yeah. Does does the human body know the difference between sugars from fruits or vegetables or honey? No, it's the They're same. same. They're the same. So when same. we speak of carbohydrates, we're talking about sugars from plants because essentially carbon dioxide plus sunlight and water makes a long chain carbon sugar particle, which mm -hmm. all comes from plants. So if you eat meat, are you eating much sugar? Not really. No. I mean, uh, the name there gives you the, what you just said: carbon, high, oxygen, and oxygen, carbohydrate. Right. So, right. Um, yeah, when you eat meat, you're looking more at amino acids and water, for instance. So, if you've got a ribeye and uh, you chow down on a ribeye, you're looking more at proteins and fats. There may be a small amount of carbohydrate in there, but it's minimal. Absolutely minimal. Got it. Got it. And and how about um, so so you're saying that ultimately the the plants, the fruits, and the vegetables are not required because carbohydrates are not required, uh, but we eat them, and it is the label of the healthy diet. And it's such a hard thing for any of us to lose that story that the brain keeps on telling you. But I need this. How do we change that paradigm and help people lose the, I need this, this is healthy for me? Well, I think being full, um, eating the right things, because if you're craving, there's many different ways of looking at it. I think, you know, the, the, the study with mice and sugar water compared to water, they're prepared to be shocked to get the sugar water. So these mice, they, they're not being indoctrinated by the mainstream media. Okay, so I want to get that out there. This is a physical response. It's a dopamine hit. This, this is happening. So, um, the mainstream media don't help, by the way. So this desire to get that pleasure center of your brain actually excited is there. It's, it's hardwired, sadly. Um, 
mm. for an addicted person. And when functional MRIs, you can you can see this. You can see that when they have that sugar, it lights up. It's an understanding of the how the body tries to tries to protect you, and this explains it. Addiction is the um, the, the synapse and the receptor for that signal actually retracts when the brain feels like you're doing too much damage. And this is why you need more and more of it, because to get the same hit, you have to pump more in because the, because the receiving end is not, is not absolutely wanting that. So you have to have more and more and more. And you addictive personality and you start thinking, well, I just have 20 grams of carbs before you know it, it's 400 because you're, you're feeding into that. Well, the, the way to stop that is to replace it with something that is equally pleasurable, but in a different fashion. So if you're full of meat and fats or animal proteins and animal fats, your cravings tend to go down because you're satisfied. So if you took that mouse, for instance, that was going for the sugar water, if you gave that mouse a replacement, something else it could try that would really like and make it actually fall and not feel like I need sugar or something to do, you know, a threat even, something to distract it, it would not act the same way. You're looking at this way of eating, and it's it's just borne out. I mean, I've been doing this now long enough to, to be able to say I've got over 500 examples of this, of people that have told me they're addicted. There's no way they can give up bread. There's no way they can give this up. No way they can give that up. And they do because they're feeling full. And I'm not one of these sort of uh, – you know, I don't like people to think in a negative way. I don't like them to wake up and think, right, today I'm not going to eat fruit. Today I'm not going to have sugar. I just say, wake up and say, right, today I'm going to be carnivore. Today I'm going to eat my, uh, my meat. I'm going to eat fat. And be very positive and do all the little things around it, the way you talk to yourself, you think about things, um, having trying to give you practical things, actually, Robert, you know, making sure that your kitchen is stocked up with instant things you can have that are animal products. Because the big thing about a lot of the bad foods is they're very easy, instant, available, you know, and um, you need to make sure that carnivore or eating this way or avoiding plants, or avoiding fruit is convenient for you and, and pretty snappy as well. So if you feel well, you know, a bit hungry now, you know, and right now I could go down, I could have a boiled egg straight away. There's some bacon that's been fried up, you know, there's... Um, a, a rump steak that's cooked i could slice up put into frying pan four minutes later with a bit of butter and some salt i've got a fantastic meal and i think it's it's not just about the physiology it's it's about your environment as well and the people around you having a, the support feeling confident in what you're doing there's so many different ways but the bottom line is eventually that lead that desire for the sugar does leave you and the food freedom which is a buzzword, but it's definitely something that more and more carnivores are aware of. Mm -hmm. It certainly comes to you. So you just feel like, wow, I'm not that food as much. I feel, I feel quite satiated. I feel really happy. I'm quite energetic. You know, everything, everything's good. Do you, do you, what is the number one reason people come to you? What are they looking for? Weight loss, um, just eliminate a disease, eliminate their doctors. What, what do you think is the motivator? Uh, hell, well, because of what I do, I think it's health. But sadly, there is a correlation between poor health and being overweight. So there will be this, um, I'd like to drop a few pounds. but And a few pounds compared to like 100 pounds. Um, yeah. 
but I always say, put the brakes on and say, well, let's, let's heal you first. And I, I have this conversation. I can hear myself now as I'm talking to you, having that conversation. Right. Let's forget the weight loss for the moment. Let's talk about the health issues. Have a look at how we can deal with those first. And the body composition going the right way is a side effect of what you're doing. So don't make it a goal. Instead, make a commitment. There's a big difference. Um, you know, commit to this way of eating. Commit to being a hellhound. And that way you actually take the pressure off yourself. You take your pressure off standing on the scale. And Have you when seen- health, Sorry, when the health benefits right. start kicking, it becomes easier. Because all of a sudden it's like, wow, this, this is really good. I don't need my blood pressure meds anymore. This is amazing. And then the weight is a secondary thing. And on those that stick to carnivore, have you seen anyone fail to lose weight and or they gain weight, they gain weight significantly on carnivore? Um, some gain weight initially. I got one person that's a bit uh, problematic right now, actually, where they lose weight quite a bit and then they'll gain a little bit back and be very demoralized by that mm. and, and understandably because they can be really strict but there's a few things going on and uh, i've asked to get a few labs and stuff like that because I just want to dive into what possibly could be happening but i would say not many i can't remember many right. people i just had one that's recent so you know because we know the standard diet world of weight loss is a significant failure rate and Mm. many people may lose weight initially, but then they quite often gain it back. Uh, yet it seems if those that really stick to carnivore and, and, and I guess the, the challenge is many people are carnivore, but still eat some carbohydrates. So they're not really carnivore. They're an omnivore. And, and that if they're looking to lose weight or even lose some diseases, it's likely still the carbohydrates that they're eating. Mm, yeah, absolutely. And I have Is this that, conversation because people say like fruits are natural. I'm like, well, they're not really, they're all hybrids and they're not what they were 500 years ago. I think 500 years ago, there wasn't such a thing as English, for instance, you know, it, it's, it's, it's crazy that people that fruit today is natural is a natural food when it isn't. It's definitely been, um, you know, it's man-made to be more uh, resilient and have more defenses and to be more sweet and uh, more palatable and all those sort of things. But um, sadly, there's a lot of influence out there that, that wants you to still eat these things. And it's, it's not helpful, certainly not helpful for people with cravings because it triggers cravings definitely does that and people that are diabetic who are on continual glucose monitors um, they have problems obviously fructose doesn't show up on a glucose monitor so that gets a bit of a free pass until you start getting into sort of the liver enzymes and those sort of things um, but if i but, eat yeah. fruit fruit, fruit it, it, yeah. I, if i eat fruit is it also yes. going to be converted to fat essentially because because we're not building sugar stores no one no. suddenly has a sugar store that's like, oh, my God, you really got a lot of sugar in your body. That if you are, if your sugar levels are high, it's because you're not able to metabolize those sugars to something else, which which 
is one thing, but, but essentially it's our challenge is, um, and back to those people who are failing on weight loss, do many of them who go carnivore, but fail on weight loss still see the benefits in yeah. some way? Yes, 100%. Absolutely 100%. I've not had one person say to me, this has been an abject failure from start to finish. Nothing has improved. That, that's never happened. Um, it's frustration because for some people, it's like a magic wand, you know, and within seven yeah. weeks, I've had people off metformin and losing weight. And, and obviously, those people go on online, they get interviewed, and they get a lot of traction because they are miraculous stories. Nobody's going to buy into a thumbnail on YouTube that says, it took me two years to get really healthy because it's not exciting. But the, yeah. there's a lot of those people where it's the long haul, you know, and it, it, it takes a long time. If you've been eating the wrong way for 30 years, you can't expect seven weeks to make a difference. Not to everybody. Yes, it has made yeah. a difference to some people that miraculously. Um, and a 30-day challenge is sort of proof of concept for most people. Within 30 days, something's happened that's good. Or um, conversely, flip it around. The th bad things that used to happen aren't happening so much. So flare-ups on the skin or anxiety is one, actually. We underestimate the mental benefits of this way of eating people feel really calm in comparison to how they used to eat things that trip them up on day-to-day -day life and let's be honest the last couple of years have been very difficult for many people they've handled those stressful situations better because it seems to have a huge impact on on uh, mental health i think that's down to the systemic inflammation being sort of dampened down and um, feeding the brain properly actually so the mental clarity is improved on carnivore that also helps people get more motivated and to be able to handle the challenge that that the carnivore uh, is presenting for them. Yeah, I, I, I always balk at the word proof because people don't like anecdotes, but thousands of people becomes data you know it stops being anecdotes when you've got tens of thousands of people all saying the same thing um, yeah, but there's only that one person that you're saying so it's it's a, what did you call proof of concept of pr yeah. Is that, yeah. yeah 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 i like that yeah. i like that yeah yeah you know if you see 500 people 199 all say i feel calmer i'm less stressed by everything well you know it must be doing something in that region it must be uh, but it's hard to prove that, isn't it? It's very hard to actually say, is this diet that's doing it? Because because you are an outside influence, people could say, well, it's because they're getting coached. It's because they're having a chat with someone. But I don't think that's the truth. I think it's just carnivore. Because I used to chat with people when I was high carb, and I never saw the results. I never saw the weight loss. I never saw what I see now. Because... I'll, I'll be honest with you, when I was doing the personal training and I first started with the obesity thing because I didn't know about low carb and keto, I felt a failure because I didn't buy into this, it's the person's fault because everybody I met wanted to do something. You know, in this, oh, they're greedy, they're lazy, you know, eat less, move more and all that. Um, it's it's flipping it around. It's taking the away from the food companies and these hyper palatable <laughs> Awful processed foods, basically. Um, and I didn't see the results. I just didn't see it. And I just thought, 
I'm, I know I'm doing the wrong thing. Well, this this time, if anybody contacts me and they've got a list as long as your elbow that you know all these different problems, I don't ever think oh, this is going to be really tough. And I think, well, you know, we're going to be a, help this person in some way, definitely. So you notice the sense of how you feel to the problem because before it was still, it was a challenge and you saw success, but it wasn't a simple formula like it is today, right? You're a science guy, right? You see mm -hmm. the simple science in the methodology that you didn't see before. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, absolutely. It makes everything makes sense. It absolutely makes sense. So for instance, with the diabetic side of things, it's a no-brainer. The blood glucose management is easier. It, it just is because the numbers are smaller and the spikes are less and the troughs are less. It's, it's, it's just absolutely nailed on because now we have these wonderful continual glucose monitors or we have people that just want to know for themselves. So they're doing on a regular basis. We even have you know, the keto mojos, everything. So the data is out there to the point, actually, where I've said to some people, you're giving me too much. <laughs> Come on, you dare. This is working, all right? Don't keep doing this to yourself because you're going to you know, run out of blood, basically. Um, and it's it's there all the time. Whereas high carb, it's constant, you know, well, there's a bit of a spike there. You had to increase your dosage. Well, your dawn phenomena is, is triggering you as well, making you, you know, you're not, you're not, bringing those numbers down throughout the day there was all of that was always going on and always very frustrating and and it was never really the person's fault and this is the thing i still get this i still get this even in this space where people will say um oh, i'm really fed up Stephen. I'm, i genuinely haven't eaten any carbohydrates but my blood sugar is still 110 and i'm like well that isn't that bad in the context of me seeing people when it's 200, 300, let's get this into context. We're talking an extra 20th of a teaspoon compared to 100, you know, and in the volume of things, is that bad? Is Are you stressed? There's many other reasons. So I think it's so explainable. It's this way of eating makes it makes so much sense. And all the things that improve, it just, it, it's common sense. What, what are the things that are tripping people up, do you think? Um, and maybe you could comment a little bit about uh, when you hear the word fiber, do some people still kind of think, well, I need my fiber, but I'm still carnivore. Uh, maybe you could comment about that and and uh, the trip-ups. Yeah, well, they, um, a lot of people I think I see actually are quite well-versed and they know Dr. Paul Mason and they know Zoe Harkham and they know all the things. So it's not particularly difficult to talk about fiber in a way that's realistic. And I like to sort of appeal to people's common sense and say, well, look, did you have these when you were on a high fiber diet? Oh yeah. Yeah. I've, always, I've had these problems all, all my life. So was fiber the answer? Do you think you just said you had a lot of fiber? Yeah, but it made me regular. I'm like, okay, but that is, what is poop? So I get into all this sort of stuff. So what is poop? It's waste. It's what your body is not requiring. So yeah, if you eat something's not digestible, not useful to you, of course that's going to end up in the toilet, but that doesn't improve things. So I think I sort of try to appeal to the thinking it through type of person where, oh, that makes sense. So if you eat something that you can utilize 100%, is that going to end up in the toilet? No, it's not going to make poop so we do get the transitional problems you know 
constipation and diarrhea country so often and i often joke to say you know if you're worried about diarrhea i have many people that go the other way and then they've got constipation you've just got to find that that happy medium which is all about adaptation really but i think the fiber thing for me i guess in your asking because maybe it comes up more in your practice doesn't tend to come up because i think most people are a bit more conversant now and and i'm i'm finding that still a lot of people you know because we're seeing new people all the time to this mm -hmm. this experience and it's still yes. sort of the carnivore is still a small kind of out out there concept for most in the standard medical community you know yes. you're tending to get those people who are drawn to you because of that they're not coming to me in general because i'm a i'm a keto or a carnivore guy they're coming to me because they want to get pregnant and have a baby and so mm. then you introduce these things and well I'll, i i won't change my diet but i do anything to have a baby so you know those are the conflicts of of, of all of this do you mm. do you th do you think that the there's what what is do you think the the most um harmful part of fiber you think you could we could explain why fiber is in in, in the gut is good or bad? Well, it's, it's not it's not required. That's that's the thing. Now the argument is that you get butyrate and it actually ferments in your colon and the bacteria there love it. But of course, you can get isobutyrate from protein and it comes from the blood side. It's not happening in your colon, so you're not getting all this fermentation in the colon. You don't. So Does you don't fermentation need... only make butyrate? I've always asked that question. When a, bug, when a bacteria or yeast ferments sugars, is butyric acid the primary? It's the one that sells. That's the thing that's talked about because it sells the idea of fiber. Right. But they don't talk about alcohol, aldehydes, methane, gas, or heat, do they? No. No. which is the killer part of that. <laughs> yes. So I've always found it interesting that, that, you know, we, we've talked about fiber and then bacteria and yeast in our gut is good for us. And yet we talk about the theoretically good thing that somehow but, but, butyric acid is going into our bloodstream from the bowels. Mm. Have we, yeah. Have yeah, we proved and that? Well, yeah. I mean, the blood, um, the blood supply of butyrate from protein is, is there and it skips quite a few processes. So it no, can no, go no, into the gut, the gut, the gut production of butyric acid mm -hmm. is, is like the, 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 it, it's in the colon, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cause we don't want fermentation in the small intestine. Do we No. Is it happening there? Do you think? I, I, I don't know. I don't know that. Um, I would hope not. I think when you look at um, when nurses talk about ostomy bags and, and colostomy bags, they always find plant material. They never find meat. So what happens in the small intestine stays in the small intestine. So, you know, if you're eating protein, that's. <laughs> so maybe you can now lead us into the meat and, and, and how did we get to this place that meat is the cause of cancer and, um, in your colon um well it's flawed interpretation of data that there is no data that actually shows that and i think that is frustrating thing going back to what you said about studies you cannot you cannot take it apart that actually makes you think wow there is a problem here quite the reverse actually um 
there is more indication that eating this way is protective for colon cancer rather than damaging. Uh, I don't know the studies off the top of my head to quote because I, I read way too many of them every single day. Yeah. Yeah. But, um, you know, I could pull them up if, if you wanted to. But there, there is just no evidence that that is the case. It's more to do with confirmation bias and adjusted figures. Um, the statistical power is not there to, to actually prove there is any risk at all. And when you look at it, um, it's driven by ideology. It's not driven by science, sadly. When, as you said, we have no requirement to eat carbohydrates and or plants. Um, is there a requirement to eat um, fat? To eat fat? Yeah. Yes. Well, they're co yes. Uh, fats are cofactors in many processes in the body. Obviously, you know, they go towards in hormones, which is pretty important. The lipid bilayer of every single cell membrane requires fat. So we need fats. Um, if you don't eat enough cholesterol, your liver makes cholesterol. So I'm just I'm just using the common sense thing there. Uh, we need it for many, many um, things, neurotransmitters, the myelin sheath around all of your nerves. You require fats. So they are essential fatty acids that absolutely definitely need for structure in the body. Also, they provide energy. So it's a good source of energy as well. So, so essentially, what you're saying, and and is that that uh, a fatty diet of meat and and fat that comes with it is healthy and protective for us, and not the cause of cancer or any known diseases that we take care of, which are the majority of the diseases are related to. You're saying a carbohydrate plant based diet. Well, it does seem that way. Yes. I mean, if you look at all the modern diseases, it seems to correlate with the introduction of modern foods and the oversupply of carbohydrates. So um, we need amino acids. Where do you get amino acids from? Well, we get them from meat. Uh, Ted Naiman had a nice phrase where he said, you know, the, the proteins in plants are really good at making plants and the proteins in animals are really good at making animals, which, again, is a common sense argument. But everything that we look at is more bioavailable from animal sources and certainly the fats are well tolerated. There's nothing to indicate that this way of eating is unsafe. And the more you speak to people in the space, heart surgeons, eye doctors, fertility specialists, mental health experts, you know, that everywhere you look, there are people that realizing that this is a very healthy way to eat for those people like, that like that call to authority, like the DMD and all that. Um, there's plenty of people there, but also, Hundreds of thousands of real people are seeing resolution of illnesses. They've been told are chronic and progressive, and they're not. They're regressing them. And they're not chronic, they're acute, and then they're not there at all. So all the things you're being told, and colon cancer being caused by red meat is one of those things from the ideology of them from the science, is just... You know, that's a bit close to my heart, isn't it? Because yeah. my mum avoided all that and had colon cancer. And there's many people that get colon cancer that are not carnivore, that don't eat fats, don't eat meats. So if it was causal, they're the ones that get it and nobody else would. So vegans and vegetarians would have a 0% hit rate of colon cancer. Well, that that's not, not the real world, is it? I mean, that happens. And we really haven't seen any studies on carnivore only 
because that when you you'd really need to see the carnivore only the meat only versus the plant only versus the combo and if you're in the omnivore side or the herbivore side because the 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 real data on 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 uh, colon cancer is never related to just meat it's always related to plants and mm-hmm. meat so it, just like if you're a smoker it's going to increase your risk of of lung cancer and, and other diseases at the same time. Yeah. And the, the studies, are, are, I don't think I've ever said this. I actually volunteered to be in a study because I wanted to experience the process firsthand to see what was happening. And, uh, you know, I went along for the assessment to see whether I'd be a good participant for the study. And there was a, a like a food survey. And when it came to the meat section, I said, do you eat meat? And I, actually asked the person that was adjudicating, well, can we split this up? I'm like, no, you just press the button, it's meat. I said, well, does that mean if I eat hamburgers, that's going to be treated the same as if I eat a ribeye? Well, yes, meat. That was the answer. Yes, yeah, meat. I'm like, well, they're very different. Uh, it, was, it was frightening, actually, to go through that, so I had to press meat. So I am there in the same category as someone that eats processed meats and hot dogs is the same apparently as me who eats grass-fed ribeye which is not being a snob not being elitist i am in that same category well then you get into the you know healthy lifestyles and the healthy user bias so somebody that eats hot dogs and sorry to paint this picture is less likely to be health conscious in other areas like smoking drinking activity whereas someone that's say vegan for instance um, I know we knock vegans quite a bit. I don't personally, but I know people in this space do. At least they are looking at their health. So they're likely to be doing other things. They're likely to be not smoking. They're likely to be abstaining from alcohol. They're likely to be doing things because you don't pick vegan because you don't care about your health. You think you're making a healthy choice. So you will change other, uh, other you know, um, activities and other things in your life. So it's a very muddled area. So you'd need you would need to actually have a cohort which are people that are really serious about carnivore and everything that goes with it because I feel I don't meet many carnivores that say, well, I eat this way, but everything else is trash. You know, they, they want to be outside, they want to be in touch with nature, they want to walk, move, they don't want to drink, they don't want to smoke, they still want to be sociable, which is which is obviously a good thing. Um, so we are definitely a subset people definitely um but they're not involved in studies strange thing is i was accepted for that study but i realized that i would be you know an outliner because i didn't fit with everybody else that was in that room because i was talking to everybody else in that room and when you do a study ultimately and and this is what you would name a study of anything that proved something and all the studies show the exact same thing well, it doesn't happen. I, it doesn't happen. <laughs> no. So we almost waste our time on studies, in my opinion, because we're so ingrained to believe that they're going to answer the question. But ultimately, well, yeah. we haven't seen that in any area of medicine. No, because the studies are just there to prove what the funding pr- wants them to prove. That's the thing. Got so it. yeah. um, it's not about improve health is it so yeah. um yeah I, I don't want to get too much into that because 
you know, it, it's still po very political, isn't it? Going on. Well, well, speaking of political in, in the spaces that we're all in, because we're now online and what you say is recorded. And mm -hmm. do you think that, um, that there's, we, we haven't really seen much, you know, backlash in, in this conversation. I think we're mostly seeing positive and growth from it, but there is still that, that, that little bit of the geopolitical, uh, and, and that, that, that wrestle between vegan vegetarians, Mediterraneans and sort of whatever, um, how's it been for you in this space? Well, I'm not a big enough influencer yet to, to um, make people take, sit up and take notice. I mean, occasionally I'll get a comment and you just think that's crazy. I mean, one of the yeah. things that I've been looking at for for about three years, we've been taken up by people like Ben Bickman. So I'm a little bit proud to, to do that because one of the things I did a video about HbA1c, which is the age of glycation of red blood cells for people that don't know. And, um, on carnivore, you can sometimes see that the blood glucose, daily blood glucose goes down, but the HbA1c goes up. And that does worry some people. So I started looking into this a few years ago. Now, when you're a phlebotomist, you're told about the HbA1c. Someone's hemolytic and their red blood cells don't live as long. They have a artificially low HbA1c. So you have to discount that because of that condition and therefore you have to look at the diabetes um, risk or the factors from their daily blood glucose the fasting insulin the fasting glucose those sort of markers well my way of thinking was well i'm now getting people coming in and they are measuring glucose daily so we know this average isn't true because they are coming in with their daily average from their actual blood so there must be something flawed in the hba1c and therefore it's possibly because the red blood cells live longer. But that, that would make total sense. If they if they die earlier in hemolytic patients, then you ignore it. If they live longer, then you should have to ignore it. Well, that's now pretty much out there. People are talking about it because it doesn't make any sense compared to the actual blood readings that are daily. So that average is wrong. So anyway, I did a video about this, which is very reasoned with all the references talking about the safety that you still got to look at your fasting glucose, you still got to look at your uh, fasting insulin. You've still got to look at all these other markers. And I got remarks just saying, I so see you're out to kill people. Uh, at no point did I say, ignore the HbA1c. It was, it was, can we understand it in the text of what might be happening? And as long as these other markers are fine and your daily blood glucose is fine, you're possibly going to be misled by the HbA1c. But people just triggered straight away without even looking at the video. So I, if I have somebody comment, I rarely engage if someone's really negative, but if it says something and it's, I don't know, challenging or it's, it's asserting something that I know isn't true, I will say, well, that's great. Well, point me to the study. Let me have a look at it. And they never reply. They but never, that's, ever reply. That's part of the beauty, I think, though. This is, it's a, you know, it's, it's, a, it's meant to be collegial uh, debates of conversations of all of this. And that's where we really want to be in the space, right? We want to make yeah. it that we can talk about opposite ideas. And, and I think you're doing an awesome job at that. And that's why I think, um, you know, I've always respected your, your communication skills and, <laughs> and making the, the story seem 
reasonable and easy to get to because people need reasonable and easy to get to where they want to go because the thing about carnivore it's really not hard is it no it's simple i mean you just eat meat and drink your water and have some eggs (laughs) because and i'm sure you do the same thing you ask people what they eat what they ate last week and i ask people their five or ten things they eat and it's usually healthy organic and clean and and then well i ate uh, chicken and and rice and that was it and yet then when you dig deep and you ask did you eat this 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 the list climbs <laughs> do you find the same thing in general we just have a difficult time remembering what we ate yes categoric absolutely categoric and then um if i have uh, you know a one to one that's not online I will actually say, uh, what do you eat? Let's go and look in your kitchen. Oh, wow. <laughs> There's so, things in there. And I, so, I, try to, I try to use humor and I just say, so yeah. this is an exhibition of all this food, is it? You don't eat any of this. <laughs> it, well, so so maybe that's really part of the trouble and how do you counsel people on that part of it? Because most of us have like, so many things in our refrigerator and our cupboards that maybe we don't eat every day, but they're there. Uh, what mm. is your advice for sort of clearing the field and, and uh, getting right to the point? Well, I think clearing the temptation is, is going to, it's a no brainer really, because I will say it, it depends on the person. So in the main, I will say to somebody, look, that's there, right? If you wanted to eat it, you could eat that now. If it wasn't there, you'd have to get in your car and you have to drive you go and get it. And by the time you've done that, well, you wouldn't want to be bothered to do that. So that would stop you eating that thing that you tell me you wish you could stop eating. So make it hard for yourself. Make it a trip. Make it a, an inconvenience rather than convenience food. And I think the other thing is talking about net benefits because – I will go back to the reason they've seen me. So, for instance, say they're they're worried about being diabetic because, and this happened to my stepfather, by the way. So it's close to home. You know, I don't want to have bits of me amputated because I'm diabetic. I've seen it happen to my brother, so I'm really worried. And I would, you know, I if, if someone needs something blunt, I say, well, look, is this worth eating? You know, because it cost you your big toe. I mean, is that is it a good trade? You know, it really does depend, Rory, on how people receive the information, how they talk to me. So if someone's a numbers person, if, you know, I'll have a female that's done tons and tons of research, they want research. They want those sort of academic answers. But in the main, I do try to get it back to common sense and say, look, what have you been eating in the past that's got you to this state? Okay. On your list, what is the food that's in my kitchen that's problematic? I'm like, well, okay. You need to dump it. You need to get it out of your life, not make it convenient um, and replace it. It's not about restriction. That's the other thing. That, that this, this diet is not a restrictive diet. I think I eat more variety this way than everybody that tells me it's restrictive who eats cereals every day, you know. Yeah. And I've even had a very funny remark, which was, well, in the week I have healthy cereal and at the weekend I have cereal that's not so bad, uh, not so good for me. And I'm like, it's cereal. <laughs> have some bacon and egg. Have, you know, fish. Have chicken. Have, you, you know, the, 
anything different. Just have some different okay. things. I found this on the web for its cereal. Have some bacon, eggs, have a chopped chicken. That's my Don't you love it when she does that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, that on Twitter, the, that voice of Siri, uh, she follows me on Twitter. The voice. It, I, that's Siri. good. I love it. I love it. I love it. And, so, 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 uh, fasting what's your your thoughts your discussion with your clients on fasting and how important is it or isn't it well i think fasting has its place um i mean obviously you're a big proponent of one minute a day omad so you are fasting for 23 hours of the day i have a slightly different take to everybody else i think in the space because i don't think of fasting and feasting or eating and then not eating however you want to demarcate it i think of us as being fueled so when i eat my food i don't then stop eating and think right now i'm fasting i think now i'm fueled that's it and just like putting gas into a, a an automobile you know i'm now a certain amount of miles until i need refueling i don't think right three hours i just think dead I'm fed, I'm fueled, that's it. I'm, I'm going to have a stop in 23 hours, 24 hours. Um, if you're on too mad, obviously, you know, I, I feel restricting your, you know, opportunities to eat is a good thing because obviously you're keeping your insulin down, your inflammatory state is down. Um, it's good for your digestive system to have a rest. Uh, so I feel it has its place, certainly therapeutically, if you've got a lot of body fat that you need to lose, and you want to tap into that, I think fasting has its place. Um, it's certainly it's good for people, I think, for resolution of issues. I think if you've got eating disorders, some of you do need to give them a little bit more guidance, and they really need a lot of um, hand-holding. But um, most people, even with eating disorders, are actually quite happy to have a look at fasting if it's suitable. I don't think it's essential. I don't think you have to do it. I do feel that you get more benefits when you do incorporate it. Um, if you want quicker results, it's, it's a really handy tool to see some body composition changes. But I I think my biggest worry is people under because that's when the crowd come back. So I, I want to make sure that when they do eat, they eat the appropriate amount for them and they don't actually under eat because then I feel the cravings will be too strong. So it's certainly not important to fast, uh, whether it's the 23 and one or 16 and, and whatever. And, and so three meals a day as our habits are might be the first step for those people that are going carnivore and, and they don't need to sort of change their eating habits time of day and things like that as they start. Well, yeah, I, I'm a great believer in you don't have to reinvent the wheel. Right, um, right. But I think three meals a day could be could be problematic. I, I do feel that's possibly a bit too much frequency. But it has its place. For instance, if you've got a client that's had, uh, you know, stomach surgery, they therefore can't eat as much. So then three meals a day is a or possibly even more frequency with smaller meals. But um, in the in the main, I think that would possibly be a bit too much. The three meals. I don't feel you get the results. As, as good as two meals a day or OMAD. And, and, and uh, the opposite of that is um, feasting. And I know that Raymond and you talk a lot about priming and, you know, really building it up and getting ready for a fast. Or do you think mm. that's something that people should do more frequently? 
Uh, again, it's uh, individual. But I definitely think if you want food freedom, if you come from a background of calorie restriction or reducing the amount of fats, your body's going to suck up all the things that it's been wanting for 30 years, 15 years. Yeah. However, you've been calorie restricted or fat restricted, it's going to love all that. Um, I have personal experience of doing the three meals plus snacks thing when I deliberately gained weight to do the experiment back in May. And um, <laughs> I went to town eating. I actually lost four pounds that week where I was doing three meals and snacks because I was eating the right food as opposed to the food that made me fat. So you have to judge each individual case and its merits and whether that person is really doing crazy. The biggest thing is the food freedom. I felt when people prime, they've come from a background, these people that have come from a background where they can't stop thinking about food, Within nine days on average, people prime in, they say to me, I don't want to eat tomorrow. I don't want to eat. And I say, remember the last time you actually felt that you fall to the point where you don't really want to eat? And they're like, no, not at all. And I tend to sort of visually just split the screen and say, look, so you've come from calorie restriction where you're constantly hungry, constantly thinking about food, where you're not eating enough, you never fall. And now you're on this side where you're eating plenty. You're not worried about calories. You're not restricting anything. You're eating to satiety and just have decided that you don't want to eat lots. You've just decided. There's no willpower because your body is full. And it's, it's beautiful. You know, I like the way you're smiling there. But it is, it's very interesting to see that penny drop when yeah. people go, wow, can't believe it. Yeah. I'm always thinking about or used to always think about what was the next meal? When am I going to eat next? What we got in? What's for lunch? What's for dinner? I don't think like that anymore. Well, that's food freedom. And it's, it's, um, it's to get to that point. Yeah. So we, we, so many of us, you know, there's still a lot of keto in the world, but for many of us that, you know, sort of, I still talk about keto because I know a lot of people still find their way there, but it's sort of the entry. It's the door to carnivore. And if we yes. can people yeah. there, and 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 that is that is so important. Uh, any particular lessons that you think are really important to share that you've learned from your clients on this journey? Yeah, patience. I think that's the biggest thing. Just not thinking you're going to have a miracle in the first couple of weeks. It's going to be a bit of a rocky road for some people as they transition from eating the wrong way to eating these foods because your body's got to adapt. It's got to get the stomach acid up, the bile production up. It's got to get used to processing amino acids. It's got to get used to processing fats. So it's not a walk in the park. I do think that um, a lot of people do immediately feel better, though. I mean, in saying that, so that's always good. When within three or four weeks, I will get many messages. I can't stop laughing thinking about it because I will get that, wow, this is so good. Why have I not done this sooner? Those sort of messages all the time um but i've definitely learned patience is a thing and understanding i think the more people can understand what's happening and why it's happening which is my big thing to try and make it sort of plain english layman's but with analogies and metaphors so people go oh yeah i really get that I really get that um i think that helps knowledge is is very powerful for people to take and um the support systems there as well i think it's a big community, so I suppose about very much is how isolated some people feel. They feel like, oh, I'm the weird one. I can't go out because, you know, I don't eat veg, I don't eat 
bread or whatever, and people are going to look at me and think I'm odd. Don't make a big deal of it. Just eat your food. Just eat the food you want to want to eat. Just be be the person that preaches and talks about it. Just get on with it. And within six months, normally, you the example and people come to you and say, right, what are you doing? Uh, what is, even, oh, even, oh, God, finish up. I'm sorry. But, but even at that point, when you tell them, you still might get people go, oh, well, that can't be true. You will still get that. Even though they've come to you, said, you look amazing. What are you doing? The moment you tell them, there are enough people out there that have told me this. They then get that. Well, that's that. It can't be that. So, but don't be disheartened. What does the UK carnivore consume in a day in general? <laughs> well, actually, I was just looking at the time. I have got a T-bone waiting right now. Um, I'm pretty traditional. I quite like eggs and bacon at the moment. I'm having a renaissance with fried eggs. I was enjoying scrambled eggs. I try to include salmon and sea bass. I like scallops and prawns. I like a bit of food. That might be because up until the age of 50, I could not tolerate any fish whatsoever mm. and hospitalized twice with reactions to fish. So that's another another thing that's happened to have eating. Uh, my allergy absolutely plummeted. I used to riddled with hay fever. Um, so many wins, it's unbelievable. So, yeah, uh, probably I'm probably too mad. Uh, at the moment, um, I do have decaf coffee. I very rarely get to drink it. I've got a cup there, but I haven't touched it. Um, that's with a little beam. Uh, yeah, it's quite varied. I have very cuts, fillet steak, I like. Uh, we have a few stews with some inexpensive shin beef and stewing steaks. So, yeah. And how about Lots alcohol? Do you, do you touch alcohol at all? Do you do? No. No. What, what do you tell people about alcohol? Well, it's not a health food. Um, no one ever drinks alcohol for their health. I get, I, I get why people like it, which is side of it. But, you know, I shoot from the hip and I say, oh, well, I don't drink it because it's bad for you. Um, if you have to drink it, you know, because your boss is going to think you're weird because you're having water and you want to fit in with your work, I get that. But it's not something I would do. I would, you know, I'd, I would just say I don't drink. But some people don't feel that confident. But as their journey progresses, they do. They do become quite confident and they give it up. Anything I haven't asked you that you think is important you wanted to share or anything you wanted to ask me? Well, I really, yeah, I really laughed when I got the email about the interview. Is there anything that uh, Robert didn't ask you that you would like ask. And I'm thinking, I haven't done the interview yet, <laughs> but it's a great question. It's a great question. Um, no, because I know you because uh, I've spoken to you and you're in the meeting. So there's, there's nothing too mysterious. I think what you're doing, you have a brilliant product of a person having a baby, you know, wow, what a gift to give to people, the ability to have a baby when they couldn't. So it's amazing. And I think in this space, I mean, I love what you do. I love you. You're very hard working. You're out there, you know, all the time doing the Instagram lives and stuff like that. I think that's again, absolutely, you know, love the content and what you're saying to people. I like the way you say it, like you as a person. And it's just, it's fabulous. And this is the thing. I didn't meet many people that were successful before I got into the low carb, then keto, then carnivore space, who are actually changing lives on a daily basis. Yeah. So, um, 
I didn't want to ask you anything. I just wanted to say that. You can put that out there. I would love that to be out Thank there. Um, questions? I don't have any questions. Um, and there's nothing I wanted you to ask me. But I, I think there was something you may have mentioned, and, and I wrote it down, about um, our genetic predisposition to diseases. Do you well, think yeah. that even as carnivores, you're just, oh, you're going to get this no matter what, or do you think we're changing the the epigenetic evolution of our of our of our current lives and maybe our future lives and our children's children's children? Well, yeah, I'll go a bit broader though, Robert, first, because this thing that genetics is the only obesity is absolutely laughable. Absolutely laughable. Because I have people that are obese and they're not when they finish. So I haven't changed their genetics. I've changed what they eat. So diet definitely has a huge role. I mean, that's just, it is literally laughable that anyone can say it's nothing to do with diet because it certainly is. Genetics play a role in more of an epigenetic environmental factor. I think I am using me as an example, but I think it's everywhere. You eat what your parents eat, pretty much what happens. So is it genetics or is it the fact you inherit the eating patterns that you were given as a child? So I'm not overly hung up on genetics being the big cause of obesity. I'm more in environmental. And again, when you have, uh, you know, huge amounts of people from one particular area of the world who have uprooted and moved and they didn't used to get those diseases and now they do, you know, uh, because they're living in a different environment, that's not a genetic change. That's an epigenetic environmental factor. So I think genetics is is a little bit blown out of proportion. Mm-hmm. Epigenetics is definitely changing us, but I think, you know, we're a blink of an eye, aren't we, this generation, yeah. three generations, blink of an eye. Maybe if we were in this way with the processed foods for another thousand years, the body would have sorted out how to deal with it. I doubt that very much personally but who knows that's a difficult one to answer really so you might say the same thing goes with not just being overweight but every disease we experience is really caused by our diet and less so anything else yeah i think if you fix the nutrition i uh, that's basically what i see that doesn't mean um i don't recommend people get out more see the sun more yeah. walk be in touch with nature all those sort of things i you know social contact um laughing having fun you know just talking all the all the things that make a big difference but in the end if your diet is good and on point your quality of life is going to improve but that doesn't mean ignore all the other things as well. I do think all those other things are important, making sure that you're in nature, getting outside, seeing the sun, um, exposing yourself to, you know, different environments, getting yourself nice and resistant, having a positive mental attitude, keep from the TV news, all those sort of things, I think will make a big difference too. So there's a lot of pearls that we can gain uh, from your advice. Where do people find you? <laughs> I'm here. Uh, right. Uh-huh. Uh, I have a website, theukcarnivore.com. Uh, really simple. Uh, Instagram again, the UK Carnivore. Um, that's that's how you can contact me or my email, zerocarbcoach at gmail.com. Um, I'm, I'm pretty easy to find. 
Yeah, you're amazing. Uh, can one other question about um, exercise? Uh, any exercise? How important is it as a component of the health, healthy living, and healthy lifestyle? Exercise is is like the butter on the steak. That's what I say. Um, it's not essential. It's definitely optional. But you're going to feel better if you move. That's that's without a shadow of a doubt. By mechanically, we're designed to move. Doing the right exercise and the right amount. As a personal trainer, I think when people get into it, the biggest problem I have is is dialing them back and and stopping them from overtraining because they feel so good. So we have to factor in rest and recovery, uh, mm. which which sounds odd when you're talking about exercise, but it's all about the training response. So if you work hard for 20 minutes in the gym, you need to rest and recover. You know, we talked about sport earlier. If you've got a favorite um, football team and suddenly you found out that they are playing a big match every single day for the next year, you could bet your bottom dollar that halfway through that, they'll all be injured or their performance terrible because they've not rested and they've not recovered so i think rest and recovery is underestimated physiological response to it i think all the post and pre-workout shake that are only really pushed by people that sell post and pre-workout shakes you don't need all that stuff drinking too much water is a big problem make sure your urine so all those things that tend to be wrapped up in exercise you know drinking tons of water and all that i try to get people out of that and listening to their thirst so it's the same principle of as eating when it comes to exercise to listen to your body to push it and stop it needs to be stopped so i do a recommendation of like three times 20 maximum but to fatigue really work out very hard then rest and recover make sure that you eat enough um i don't feel that you need to have tons and tons of equipment you can do body weight exercises. You can sprint in the park. Sprinting's really good. Anything that's short, sharp, and explosive. But be specific to what your aims are. So if you want to be a 26-mile marathon runner and a superstar, that's that's what you need to train for. You don't need to be in the gym. You need to be running. If you want to gain some muscle um, and look at your longevity and your bone density, for instance, then probably strength training is the best thing. Most people I see don't want to be marathon runners and they do the running for the wrong reason. They do it to lose weight. And I say, do you enjoy it? And they're like, don't enjoy it. Right. Okay. Well, let's not run. Let's go in the gym. Let's do some sprints in the park or something. But, you know, work out your goal really rather than um, because somebody said this insane workout is really good. And for a lot of people, walking is really good. Getting out, Mm. as you said, and one of those that those that aren't interested in building bulk in their muscles, but they just want to keep the tone. Is lighter weights okay? Um, well, it, it depends on your sex and your uh, your lifestyle and your shape, because some people will put on muscle easier than others, which is the thing that makes many people jealous who want to gain the muscle and can't. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, I don't, I'm not a big fan of lightweights. I feel you'll get more from actually making a difference. You know, if I was to pick up this pen, which is light, I'm only using this as a silly example. And I did a bicycle. My central nervous system is never going to pick up that we need to do something to make this movement uh, more efficient. We need to build 
bigger muscles. We need to build better joints. We need to get, you know, the motor neurons there. We need to more, more, more activation. You pick up a heavyweight, your central nervous system, boom, yep, it's going to listen. So um, I think lightweights, you tend to then get into endurance. And if you think of what a marathon runner and a sprinter does, so a sprinter is short, sharp, intensive, explosive movements and looks pretty awesome or like a diver, someone, or a swimmer, they look pretty good. Most people like the way they look. Marathon runner, not so much. Most, you know, look a bit underfed. Yeah. Well, what they're doing when they do their 26 miles or their endurance training is they're teaching their body to get this body, which has a finite storage of energy, and to slowly release it. That's what you're training your body to do, to slow your metabolic rate down, to, to, to give you energy to last for 26 miles. So you slow your metabolic rate down and you don't look great. Or you could lifting weights or doing something explosive, really good because you're teaching your body to be big and explosive, you know, and fast and, you know, dynamic. So I think what you want out of your training is really important rather than what's the best sort of training. Right, right, right. So if you want to be a marathon runner, then that there you're going to go to that long, low and slow mm -hmm. potential. But really, if you want the real fitness, you have to you have to give a little bit of resistance to those muscles to yes. get them to build a little bit more. Yeah. And the fight or flight is probably more valuable than the long distance run anyway, because yes. if you need to move uh, quickly, you've got that because you've trained for it. Yes, absolutely. Yes. It's really been a pleasure, Stephen. Thank you for joining me today. And I know we we got a chance to catch back up and. Uh, always love listening to you and you have just a you have a calm way of presenting the information that really is easy for people to listen to and handle i sometimes can be a little loud and um, <laughs> i gotta practice well, i think you're great I, I like what you do i like oh I god like bless it. you thank you no i enjoy it too Look, i am off coffee now and uh which has really been fantastic uh feeling um mm -hmm. i haven't tried decaf back again um, I just kind of love the feeling that it's not, it's no longer uh, uh, pulling me. Mm. That's the one, one thing to kind of to let go of those addictions that there's the, yes. the puller, right? And uh, the same mm. thing, again, carbohydrates and alcohol and any of those other things. It's, it's really important to find your strength in food freedom. Mm. Yes. Yeah. Well, um, my coffee's here, mate. <laughs> really, I was serious. Look yeah. At that. Not yeah. touch. Well, that, uh, again, I, I don't I don't think some coffee, even coffee with caffeine from time to time, and you know, I think it's just you know each person has to find the thing and where they're at, wouldn't you say? Mm. At the moment. Yeah, and I think one of the things about coffee, and I'll have to go in a second, Robert. By the way, I got to go um, too. Um, is what does it replace? You see, if someone says I get up in the morning and I walk barefoot and I go down to the bottom of the garden and I sit at the bottom yeah. of the garden and I have a cup of coffee and I just look at nature and I say, well, what would you do if you didn't have coffee? Well, I'd stay and eat rubbish. Then coffee wins. Yeah, <laughs> Simple as that. For that lifestyle at that moment. And, you know, my back, you know, right, maybe we'll come back to that. Maybe we'll look at that. How you know, it's all about the quality of life, isn't it? And it I enjoy coffee, but I, I know caffeine is not good for me. But decaf, I, I tolerate quite well. Tolerate so. pretty good. Good. Well, awesome. Well, well God bless you. Thank you for joining me today. Brilliant. I appreciate right. it. Always good. Always good.
All right. Talk to you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Carnivore Conversations hosted by me, Dr. Robert Kiltz. And don't forget to review us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you're listening today. Check out drkiltz.com for more and subscribe to our Instagram, YouTube, TikTok, and Facebook for more inspiring content every day. Take care and see you next time.